So we will hopefully, theoretically, begin a new uh, sermon series uh, a week from today uh, in the book of Psalms. And each week during the summer, one or more of the members of our youth group will be up here with me. And they've been preparing and interacting with a particular psalm uh, in preparation for this. And we will kind of discuss what they've learned and do that. And so this morning, uh, you're, you're stuck with me, right? And uh, sometimes in the, in the sermon prep process, when I'm not in a series, uh, it's more difficult to come up with what we're going to talk about. It's just, you know, you got 66 books of the Bible to choose from and multiple chapters in most of those. And so this week is just kind of where I've been in this, in this week. I, I did uh, a funeral on Monday in Sherman, Texas for uh, a dear member of our family. So see if you can follow this. She was my mother's first cousin's wife. You got that? Did you catch that? Okay. So my first cousin once removed, my mother's first cousin, if I did that correctly, uh, his wife of 40, well, the funeral was actually on their 47th wedding anniversary, the day of. And how do I describe this couple? He is a, and I hope he hears the message, he would, he would say amen, but he is a low-grade East Texas redneck <laughs> and would not want me speaking of him in any other light, right? His accent is thicker than peanut butter, and he's crazy. He's just, he's down, so... I, when, when Kathy and I were, I think we were engaged and I, I took her up to meet Ann and Wally. And Wally drove us over to the town of Honey Grove, which is where my mom's parents were both born and Wally's parents were both born. Actually, Wally's mother was from Cooper, Texas. Let's be clear. Um, and, uh, so we drove over to Honey Grove to meet Wally's mom, Thelma, right? And Wally says to Kathy, as we're driving up Pecan Street, he says, uh, let's see what you're made of, young woman. And uh, she's like, huh? He goes, I'm going to have you get out and walk up to my mama's house. I'm going to see if you can get money out of my mom. She's like, huh? He goes, I haven't gotten any money out of my mama in 35 years. I want to see if you can get some. Go see how much money you can get from her. So Kathy gets out of the truck, knocks on the front door, says, I just broke up with my boyfriend, and I'm stuck here, and I need money. I need gas. I need, you know, bus money to get home. Thelma, well, come on in, honey. And next thing you know, they're having coffee. They're having little crumpets or whatever they do. And uh, Thelma's writing out a check for $20 to help Catherine get back on her feet. Let me tell you, that was like masterful work. I don't think anyone's gotten $20 out of Thelma in a long time. And so uh, 
Yeah. So we pull up in the driveway, and Thelma looks at Wally's car and looks at Kathy, and she goes, I should have known he was up to something. (laughs) You know, and then very politely takes the check back from Kathy's hand. Um, So uh, anyway, that's Wally. And Anne is just, was one of the most delightful, quiet, calm, spiritual souls you've ever met. And most everything I ever heard her say consisted of, oh, Wally, you know, not again. Come on. And the two of them, as, as different as they were, were absolutely in love with each other. And so, Anne got cancer a few years ago, a really rare abdominal type of cancer, and it eventually uh, occluded her ability to digest, and she went into hospice care in her own home. Uh, she'd been a social worker for 40-something years and uh, decided she wanted to finish it out at home and did in a very dignified and, and beautiful way in her own in her own way, but deeply spiritual woman. She went to Covenant Presbyterian Church in Sherman, Texas. And so I got to co-officiate her service there at her home church with her pastor. It was a beautiful day. But the, the sense of loss, you all know this sense of loss, and the sense of, I don't know what you call it, empathy for Wally and just his lifelong love of his life was gone. And so that was just kind of a a place that I was this week. And that brings me to a book of the Bible that is probably the most, uh, I don't mean to use this flippantly, but it's the most bipolar book in the Bible. The author is the prophet Jeremiah, and he goes from utter, complete despair to euphoric joy and hope, and then back, and then back, and then it's just a big, difficult flipping back and forth from from great to terrible, to great again, to terrible again, to great again. And I'm going to just invite you into one of those chapters. You will see this, this sort of uh, weaving in and out in just a few verses we're going to read together. Um, but I, I want to just kind of, maybe this is for me, and I just needed to work through this verse uh, on my, you know, my, for myself this week, but I invite you into that this morning. Um, so we're going to be in the book of Lamentations, uh, perhaps the most appropriately named book in the Bible. And just to give you a little bit of context, uh, Jeremiah the prophet has watched Jerusalem get desecrated and overrun by a foreign army and everything's gone. The temple is torn down. The stuff is taken away. Uh, there's no hope. It's over. Uh, the, the people of God as he knew it uh, are done. 
And so he's, he's facing the deep sadness of this loss, and he pens these words in that context, that overall context. Um, so from Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 16, I'm going to read through verse 33. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. And let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. It seems that in life there are very few constants. There are very few things that we can um, rely on or take comfort in. Well, we take comfort in lots of things, let's be clear. But the fact that they won't always be there is part of the problem. Things are The things that provide us comfort are often fleeting or... Uh, limited in their capacity to reach the depth of our soul. And there's there are a few things in life that, that touches directly upon this aspect of our humanity as the loss of someone we love. It's uh, so disorienting and so... Um, devoid of good that it brings us to the edge of despair. It causes us to lose hope. And the one thing that I think is so astonishing about this prophecy, about this writing by this prophet, um, is even in the midst of loss and despair and the disappearance of hope, Jeremiah is still able to lay a hold of that which does not change, that which is always there, 
that which is the one thing in this universe that we can rely on. The steadfast love of God. We cannot always see it. We do not always feel it. But it never changes. It never goes away. And in some senses, that's almost a cruel reality. That we can be in so much anguish and the steadfast love of God never changes. Just stays fixed and eternal and true. And so... How do we, how do we access this one true thing? How do we find this in the midst of our loss and struggle and despair? I think the first thing we learn from Jeremiah is the call to be real. I am blessed that we are not in a church where this is a problem. Um, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes I wish you weren't quite so real. I don't really mean that. That was just a joke. Um, But there's something about American Christianity that wants to set forth this veneer that I'm okay. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm great. I'm blessed, which is always true. just doesn't always feel true. We want to project that we have it together, that it's not all falling apart. And when we do this, we sort of rob each other of the opportunity to connect on levels that are more meaningful than the superficial ones where we are all comfortable. And as you started listening to these words, uh, how real is this guy? Um, He's made my teeth grind on gravel I have forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Um, God gives us permission to be discouraged. It is human to be discouraged. It is normal to be discouraged. It is okay to be discouraged at times in your life. That's not a sin. Discouragement is not a sin. It is a result of circumstances. I I suppose you could say many of the things that I do in my discouragement are sinful, right? But the discouragement itself, it's, it's, how do I parse this? If we live in a fallen world, there will be results of that reality that are painful and discouraging and causing us to despair. That in and of itself is not a sin. A great example, grief 
is not a sin. It's not a sin to be sad. It's a result of living through a difficulty. And so Jeremiah, in a way, God, through this prophet, is giving us permission to feel discouraged, to find healthy ways to express ourselves. Uh, The prophets were very good at this. You know, how are you today? I feel like I'm chewing gravel. You know, wow, that's quite real. And, and he's able to articulate like where he really is in his journey with God at this time. We are to find healthy ways to express ourselves and we're to find healthy people that we can be honest with. This is extremely important that we have people we can go to and weep. Jeremiah's nickname is the weeping prophet. Uh, we can we have a shoulder to cry on. We have a friend to lean on. Um, we have to find healthy people that we can be honest with. If God's own prophet lost all hope, you're going to be okay. When you lose hope, you are in good company. And this is not a function of how well you hold it together in your despair and discouragement. Being a part of God's family is about, well, we'll get to this, but it's about his faithfulness in the midst of our discouragement and disappointment and struggle and suffering. And so, to be real means it's okay to feel discouraged and it's okay to feel broken. The prophet takes this turn in verse 19 where he says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Verse 20, My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. These are the words of a broken man who has lost everything, if you will, or he feels like he has. And there's this very interesting allusion to gall. This would be a, a, an herb that was added to water or vinegar and made it very bitter. It was considered, in, to, to some extent, either a medicine or a poison. Um, and fascinatingly, when, when Jesus was in the midst of his suffering, gall comes up. The soldiers attending to him dip a sponge into a, a bowl of vinegar that's laced with gall. And it was intended uh, for, <laughs> it was a, a weird Roman form of mercy. If you're, if you're hanging there in agony and you consume this, you will die sooner, basically. Jesus, uh, I think, bit the sponge and spit it out. He's like, nope, I want it all. I don't want a quick out. 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take this all the way as far as it has to go. But the, the connection point is right here. That in our gall, in our time and life where life tastes bitter, in our bitterness, we have a Savior who has gone there. He went through that suffering. He went through death. He went to that cross for us. And this is truly, this is what makes Christianity unique out of every faith on the planet. Our God went there. He became one of us and took the suffering and death upon himself. Not so that we can live in Disney World our whole lives, but so that we know when we are in despair, when we lose hope, he has been there. He has overcome. He has been resurrected from that death and brought back to life. And so we are to know in our brokenness that Christ entered into our suffering and that Christ freed us from our burden. He was broken on the cross for our freedom. And so the prophet, in a very powerful way, he loses everything. He's in total despair, and he just reaches forward several hundred years in history and says, the, the answer is here on this cross when God comes to earth, when he offers his life as a sacrifice for our sins, to redeem us and restore our salvation, our life, and our hope. And so, being real with God and each other comes full circle to the reality of what Christ did on the cross. And that's, that's the beginning of this process of moving through the difficulties of life. So, we are real with God and others. And we find in that realness a Savior who was willing to take, to enter into our brokenness and take our sin on Himself. And so, we renew our hope in Him. We are to remember the prophet tells us, God's limitless love. These verses beginning in 21, this I call to mind and therefore I have hoped the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. We're to remember God's limitless love and return to his mercy and rest in his faithfulness. I will say this again. Your standing with God, the validity 
of your Christian faith is not based upon how well you hold it together in your despair. It is based solely on God's faithfulness. That's it. Where you are with Christ is based on God's faithfulness, not yours. You are free, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are His. And so, this return to His mercy is a call to rest in His faithfulness. We are to remember God's limitless love and we're to remember God's infinite sufficiency. The prophet says, The Lord is my portion in verse 24. Therefore, I will hope in Him. This idea that God provides for His people. We are to seek His goodness and wait for His provision. So, how do you do that? How do you seek something and wait for it at the same time? Anyone? Anyone? Faith? Hope? Tears? I don't know. Um, I, I love this. I, I love the way he puts it. That we're to seek the Lord. Our souls are to seek him. And we are to wait for him. I love that. I, I don't know what to do with it. Um, what do you think? I'm some kind of expert or something? Um, this is great tension. It's This sounds like something Jesus would say. That's really hard to assimilate mentally, but really true in our hearts. That we are to seek God, but to know that we can't force Him to do anything, which is terrible. I, I have not, so far I've been unable to trick Him, hide from Him, run from Him. It's terrible. He's really, it's terrible. He knows. He loves. He persists. And we are in this relationship where we are to seek and to wait all at the same time. As we learn to be real, as we renew our hope, we are also called to develop a healthy perspective on this life that we go through. Difficulty is not all bad. It's bad, but there is something about the way God works that he specializes in moving toward us in the midst of our difficulty, of our suffering, of our sorrow. And so let's just look at that for a minute. This is one of the things that is terrifying about being in a relationship with God, the God we serve. He is absolutely unafraid to allow us to reach the end of ourselves. 
he kind of knows that we're all a little full of ourselves. I'm not looking at anyone. He kind of knows that. And so he's not afraid to let things transpire to the point where we are at our wit's end. He knows that there, when our hands are empty, when, our, when we're kind of done, he does his best work. And this is the point where most of us begin to look up. So it's, it's good at times to reach the end of ourselves, uh, not excusing or, or, or denying the pain that often comes with reaching that point. That is real. It is true. We've already talked about being real. It's good to reach the end of ourselves, and it's good to be on the receiving end sometimes of difficulties that, that allows us to be better and more empathetic in responding to others who are in difficulty. When life goes wrong for us, it allows us to be there in a better way for others when life is going wrong for them. I'm not trying to justify or excuse suffering. That's not the point. But there is some light in the midst of the darkness. Difficulty is not all bad. And difficulty difficulty or struggle or suffering does not have the last say. Jeremiah says in Verse 31, the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Difficulty and suffering help us appreciate God's love. His light shines brighter into darkness. And it helps us to see God's heart. This is the last say. That the heart of God is inclined toward his people even when we can't see him. Even when we don't believe he's still there. That his love is steadfast and eternal, never-ending, and always available to us. And we have this truth that a persistent God is after us. He's not out to get us. That's what Jeremiah is trying to say in those last couple of verses. He does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's not. That's not what's going on. He is in the midst of ruin trying to find you and redeem you and restore hope and renew your soul. And so this persistent God has the final say. He's out to show us his steadfast love. Will you pray with me? God our Father, we thank you that it is not your heart to grieve man, but rather to redeem us in the midst of our grief. 
Lord, help us to see you at work in our struggles, in our darkness, in our despair. Renew our hope and our strength. Remind us that you have been there, that you have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and that you went to the cross willingly, out of love, to see that we could find forgiveness and redemption and hope. Thank you for this gift. Minister it to our hearts each and every day. Lift our heads, renew our souls, restore our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.